I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Treehouse, episode 33. The liver sausage letters with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Yes, indeed it is. And here we go again for another three hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. And uh, I choose these titles carefully. Mm. I don't want you. I don't want you to think it just you know seconds before we start recording this. Uh, you say to me, "What should we call it?" And I pull it out of the air. Oh no, these are, these are carefully tended. And I, when I said to you, liver sausage, I noticed your eyebrows. <laughs> I mean, what an unusual child to have a liver sausage sandwich for school. Oh, my no. pat lunch from the, the deli o- around the corner. Bowen's. The only way to eat liver sausage is in a sandwich. Now, I really I could go some now. And I don't, and again, uh, I don't want to divide the audience, not for the first few minutes. Uh, but um, liver sausage was very much the proletarian pate, isn't it? That's, that's what. Yes, yes, of course it is. It's liver. Of course. I don't know. I've never thought about that. It's a liver sausage. Of course and, it um, is. And we, we, we may drag this out over 30 odd minutes talking about liver sausage. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most satisfying foods in terms of its tactile thing, because you've got, a, you've got your liver sausage and you cut, cut yourself a good circle of liver sausage mm-hmm. and then taking off the plastic <gasps> rind from it. Oh, that's sensual. Calling Dr. Freud. I don't know what that is, but taking off the uh, uh, outer skin from the liver sausage is a beautiful thing. Well, uh, particularly, as I say, we used to get it from the, the deli around the corner from deli us. Deli does the liver sausage. <laughs> well, deli was a little, you yeah. know, a, a delicatessen <laughs> in our old, you know, mm. in the old way of, of mm-hmm. thinking about it. And there used to be an old lady who looked like my nan in there in a white coat. And she would use the machine to chop all the ham oh, and the liver sausage. <laughs> oh, now you. I'm glad to hear that's not just a male thing because uh, the corner shops, as was, and you know when they didn't, did you your ham and stuff? And still today, that slicing machine. There wasn't oh. a kid who didn't think, yeah. Yeah, forget being a jet pilot, forget being a fireman and all that. I want to operate that one day. I still, to this day, have never held a large hand, <laughs> make your own joke there, and just done this. Do you want a thin or thick? Oh, that about oh. right. But they do the one slice and say, about that. And I never really look at the slice. I go, that, that's fine. <laughs> Sometimes. And they always know when you'd say, oh, half a pound of, and they'd go, mm, oh. dunk. The way they let it rest over their fingers as it comes through that thing. Anyway, uh, we, 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 let's stop. <laughs> we can't do a whole liver sausage special. Makes mental note one day. Let's do a liver sausage special. Because uh, before we... Then today, 
how about this? If you've never heard the show before, this you join it later on in the series. Uh, so uh, we're going to try and get through as many emails as we can. That light laugh from the audience there, but they are absolute, and they're starting to fill up the screen here, uh, but they are absolute pips and dandies. But there are one or two things uh, we need to uh, evaluate first. Um, mm. uh, it's SR, SR Percy, right? SR okay. Percy, um on this day, uh, we're going to drift into foodstuffs again here, I can tell. That's Al Percy. Not very famous, and indeed probably shouldn't be that famous because it was just on this day that S.R. Percy legged it down the patent office and said, look here what I've got. What's that? Powdered milk. Right, he invented oh. powdered milk. Yeah, I know. Now, I was starting to think as I read this this morning and looked off out the window in a reverie thinking about it. I don't think I like powdered anything. I don't know if I like powder, and then uh, I kind of drifted towards sherbet, and oh, then I know that's not. Yeah, but you don't do anything to sherbet, do you? You don't. Well, you don't revive thing, it with anything, it, do you? You don't revive it with anything. You're quite right. You're quite right. It, it remains in desiccated state. Uh, uh, although, did you ever try to put water with sherbet? Did you ever try and make a sherbet? No. Drink? It's oh, it oh. I mean, unless you're Scottish and there's cremola foam, which is... Mwah, I don't know what that is. Oh, cremola foam was basically very similar to that, was putting sugary sherbet and then stirring in water and it would make a lemon drink, a strawberry drink or an orange drink. And oh, cremola foam. Is the root finger food. It's a, you hold your little bag of sherbet, you wet the index finger, and then you go, and that's a f- finger food. But I, 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 feel, I promise we're going to get straight round to these emails. That's the whole point of the show. Uh, but uh, uh, and then I thought, well, what is it? What is sherbet? What is it? And I could not find a good description anywhere. It's just sherbet. But Sugar, what, isn't what, it? what is that stuff? What was it before they ground say, it down? And this, and Americans call. Something else, sherbet, don't they? Sherbet like, is their yeah, sorbet. Sorbet, yeah, exactly. Sherbet. But sherbet, what was it? What, what does it look like in its raw state? Do they mine it like talcum powder? <laughs> or talcum powder is mined. Look it up. But is there a, a, a great big block of sherbet that you then chamfer and take sandpaper to? Dear old SR Percy could have had his machine making sherbet. But I don't know what it is in its state. It's sugar, isn't it? Sugar. I've tried. I tried making sherbet from sugar, and you can't. <laughs> but it, it's, We've been it's, locked in too long already, haven't we? Liver sausage and sherbet. By the way, by the way, I know, and we don't always do foodstuffs. Let me put that another way. We usually always do foodstuffs. But the um, uh, the, the, the 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 straw in the sherbet fountain. Mm-hmm. There is no straw in the sherbet fountain anymore. It's a solid block. They've gone back to the index finger thing, and I I don't know why. But now you just dip a solid block of or a solid straw. licorice, wasn't it? Licorice, yeah. The licorice thing um, is now that you can't... It, it never really yeah, it works It was a straw, anyway. wasn't it? It was a straw, but it never works. I defy anyone to say, oh, yeah, you used to be able to hoover it up like a cocaine addict. You didn't. It was... It, 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 it just block halfway through it. Far too wide. It wasn't fit for purpose, perhaps. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, our good friend, S.R. Percy, today. And the only other person... Um, I want to bring to our attention is uh, uh, Charles Proteus Steinmetz. Oh, yeah, 1865 he was born. He invented this is dull as ditch water, but we're getting around to the emails and you can contrast them then. Uh, this, um, uh, he, he, the alternate current AC, okay. you know, the, the AC, the alternate current to come up, but also because I'm thorough and I kept reading down, I said there'd be something here somewhere, something in his life. <laughs> sure enough, he founded the first, he was a big inventor and you know, a million laughs apparently. But uh, uh, Steinmetz in 1865, born. 
does alternate current. He's a big old professor all the way around. And then you read down and it says, he also founded the world's first glider club, but it was not a success. Oh. <laughs> and there's a little quote from a letter he wrote to a friend about his glider club and says, none of the prototypes we used could be dignified with the term flight. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been in a glider. I don't want to go in a glider. I don't. They, they, they don't belong. But none of the prototypes we used could be dignified with the term flight. Oh, so what happened at the the uh, short-lived club? <laughs> he said, "Listen, fellas, I've got this idea. Let's all meet up on the hill on Friday. I'm going to show you something. None of them took off. Uh, anyway, welcome aboard, everybody. What are we doing today, Peps? Uh, well, number one, what have you slept through? Oh, God, a few of those. Yes. Number two, notable career changes. Mm -hmm. Number three, evidence you may have lived before. A number four, born in neither home nor hospital. Now, we're lacking a bit on uh, people who think they've been born before. Uh, it's got to be... Uh, yeah, we've got a very cynical audience, I think. No, I, I see, there's, that's the great thing. We all gather around the weakest link and say, tell us what you know. And uh, I know people who think they've lived before. I know... I know uh, uh, when I was a kid, so I know myself, I think I've lived before is the phrase, isn't it? As a kid, uh, I described Lytham St. Anne's. Now, I've, well, I've since been to Lytham St. Anne's. And I also remember seeing an old Western type bar with swing doors. Now, yeah, I probably watched the Milky Bar Kid. He often was in a bar with swing doors. Uh, but Lytham St. Anne's. I mean, what do you know? I said, where the beaches. What do you mean? Again, perhaps, you know, uh, uh, oh, sort of this John is juicy stuff. But sometimes you think you can have lived before, but we didn't get anything on that. Now, I promised, didn't I, that I was going to start with um, uh, the email we just was uh, finishing with last ah, time. Ah, yes. Whose was it? I can't remember now. Elsie, uh, Ellie. It was Elsie. Yes, it was. It was yes. Elsie's. And I can't find it on my screen. So let's go. Uh, we'll be right with you, Elsie. Poor Elsie. Let's go. No, we'll go straight Keep waiting, Elsie. We'll get there. Yeah, and, and, and so... Uh, I need to give you one while you look for her. Yes, go on, you do that and okay. I'll find it. Go on, so please. this is from Kieran. What have you slept through? Mm -hmm. I slept through the hurricane of 1987. Mm. Now, so did my brother Matthew, whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday, Matthew. He didn't wake up at all during that hurricane or storm or whatever they call it of 1987. Anyway, back to Kieran. I didn't hear a thing. I woke up for work early, got in the car, and as I drove down the road, noticed a few trees in the road and stupidly thought the council were out early cutting down trees. <sighs> as I went on, more trees, a few roofs looking worse for wear, still didn't think anything of it. Got to work. Everyone was talking about it and thought they were winding me up. However, another part of the story, and the one that also always brings to mind that hurricane of 1987, was that of nearly burning myself alive. Yeah. I was in the car on the way to work and having a morning ciggy and looking all around me, nearly finished the ciggy and flicked it out the window. About five minutes later, I could smell burning and thought it was the car. It was a 1969 Mini. When I got to work, whilst talking about the hurricane, someone noticed a huge scorch mark on the back of my nylon jacket. Oh. Turns out I flicked the ciggy out the window, the wind had blown oh, it back yeah. in again and had started to burn me alive. <laughs> I didn't feel a thing of that either. It's trains, planes and automobiles, that happens. And I'm sort of like laughed there when he said the phrase burned me alive. Yeah, what we'll do, we're going to put a little moratorium on these slept through things because if we get through all the ones where people have slept through hurricanes or and or metal bands, that's, that's all, honestly, let, let this one uh, uh, take care of all of those. <laughs> They're all firstly, uh, this, uh, 
This is from Cameron. When I was nine years old, my mum took me to see my first gig at the Brixton Academy. So enamoured with the band I was that I stayed up all night and all day trembling with excitement to see them. We queued up, took our seats, and as the band came on and played their first song, I felt the crushing heaviness of my eyelids descend. And I woke up in the back seat of the car with my mum saying, well, I don't know why I spent all that money on bleating tickets you passed out as soon as they come on stage. I had to sit through it. The band, my friends, was Queen and Paul Rogers. I'm 25 now with significantly better music taste. Well, I was going to say, you I still would have can't said... overlook that. But let <laughs> that take care of every single band from Thunder to the Tigers of Pantang that men seem to have slept through. We get it. Okay. Uh, just another quick one on the hurricanes. This is from Robert. I managed to sleep through the hurricane that hit Jersey in 1987. My mum had seen the patio door glass, uh, glass bend and my dad's greenhouse was flattened. His flower pots were redistributed to several fields near us. I woke up ready to go to college. I need to be told we weren't going anywhere as every other tree had been knocked down. I had no idea why. And just uh, before we finish, uh, this one which we don't have a name for, probably mercifully, I slept through a police drugs raid on my student house. I woke up to find the front door off its hinges and one of my flatmates missing. Wow! That, let that be the rock and roll. But anything else people have slept through, earthquakes and that, love to hear from you. Give us something else, perhaps. Uh, This is from Ashley. Just listening to your recent podcast and the two girls locked out saying, Mum will kill us when she gets home, reminded me of a story. In the very early 70s, my elder brother brought a fake scratch from somewhere. A transfer one. You peeled it off the cardboard and placed it on a required surface for hilarious effect. It must have been a quiet Saturday morning. Dad was working at the factory and Mum would have been at the hairdressers having a perm. I was about eight and my brother, three years older, thought it would be a great idea to pretend we had accidentally scratched Mum's cooker by sticking the fake scratch on the front. (laughs) To say my parents were house proud would be an understatement and no doubt this added to the brilliance of our scheme. We stuck the grey scratch to the upper oven of our white electric cooker and moved a kitchen chair onto the floor nearby just as if we might have been fighting with the top of the chair having supposedly scraped the oven. The scratch looked very realistic to even our surprise. Now, Mum's weapon of last resort against two growing boys was a wooden spoon kept in a small kitchen table drawer. We settled back to watch Saturday morning telly and awaited Mum's return from the hairdressers and guess we must have both been very excited to see her reaction. There would be a look of horror, then an explanation and realisation, followed by laughter. And as we saw her coming down the street, we waited in the kitchen as she strolled in. The rest is a blur. A very loud scream followed by me seeing mum beating my brother's backside fiercely with the wooden spoon, meant I bolted out the kitchen door in a panic and up the garden path. A large hand dragged me to a stop before I reached the far gate and started hitting my backside with a wooden spoon too. My brother must have followed mum outside and explained it was a joke and we didn't mean it, etc, etc, as things calmed down and I'm still alive to tell the tale. I have a vague memory of us crying boys being in the kitchen trying to peel off the so-called joke much to mum's relief and we kept a very low profile for the rest that, that, that seems to me I mean I'm usually on the side of the parents here and it's a tremendous tale but uh, uh, the, the, the first thing you say mum it's a gag it's one of those you know scratches you see now you don't see those anymore I'd love those ones that made out the window was broken I tried those oh yeah they just made it look like there was a spider web had been drawn on with a magic marker they never really worked. obvious blurry sticker yeah really you could see the edge of the perspex and everything uh, but it seems to me that the that kind of thing would really challenge uh, things like TikTok and Nintendo if they came back. Uh, before we move on, 
<laughs> there's no forward motion at all. I'm aware of that. But um, this, uh, uh, occasionally, we get follow-ups to things we mentioned. As people join mm. us all the time and welcome, uh, some str- shows are stronger than others. We're not going to we're not going to lie to you. If you're consistent as that, but you know, we'd all be in the hay, wouldn't we? Don't look at us like that. Anyway, but um, a while back, and this is from uh, Freddie. Fred gets in touch, and he says. Uh, actually says, he opens up by saying, you keep mentioning the world's most valuable tooth. Now, I don't think I keep mentioning the world's I most valuable tooth. I think it featured tooth. in one. I mentioned the other week Isaac Newton's tooth uh, was made into a ring and then sold for like £780 in, in the 18th century. Uh, so I mentioned that, but Fred's brilliant because he says, I want to challenge it and mention another. Oh. Well, is, uh, we, we have to have the music put on post-production, so I'll let the music change now here we got something good and uh, exploring please a few years ago we went to sri lanka and visited candy where they have the temple of the tooth this is a very large and ornate temple where they proudly house the only relic relic of buddha story has it that when he died he was cremated and a priest braved the fire to recover a tooth this was then sealed in a casket and is housed in the temple for all to see, or not, as it's sealed in a case. Every year, the tooth is paraded around the town on the back of a large tusked elephant. The twist is that to avoid the tooth being stolen, there are in fact nine caskets now, and not even the priests know which one oh. is which. Now, isn't that a fantastic... That's the kind of correspondence. It's tooth deal or no deal. It <laughs> All nine caskets are loaded up on the back of the old pachyderm and around town it goes. I think uh, he wins with that one. That's Good a tremendous tooth. story. So that made us think, well, okay, is it the world's most valuable tooth? Now, it's, it's hell's own job trying to search world's most valuable tooth. <laughs> uh, so don't, don't bother. It's, it's quite hard. Uh, I, I suspect Newtons and Buddhas have got it now. Uh, but I chanced upon Lucy Majerus. Uh, ever heard of Lucy Majerus? No, who's Lucy Luxembourgian Majerus? designer Lucy Majerus creates human ivory, everyone. <laughs> Lucy uses human teeth to create jewellery that is similar in appearance to pearls. Says Lucy, when I lost my own wisdom teeth, I kept them and came up with the idea of human ivory. Why wouldn't we value our own material instead of the precious material of other species? Her wisdom teeth became a ring, and Majerus asked her dentist to save her unwanted teeth for her next collection. The dentist normally donates unwanted teeth to dentistry schools, since, surprisingly, most people don't ask to keep their pulled teeth. Two of her teachers at Eindhoven also donated their teeth. To turn these old teeth, Majerus bleaches them, polishes them into smooth, glossy pearls. Majerus says that a few participants have been put off by the thought of wearing human teeth as jewellery, a practice one might associate with cannibalism. Surprisingly, most people aren't creeped out, she says, by the sight of my jewellery. Some regret that they didn't keep their tooth at the dentist, and some will look forward now to having their teeth taken out, as I am looking forward to that too. Now, what do you make of that, Peps? What do you well, think? She's the adult tooth fairy, isn't she? Well, she, well that's one. The tooth fairy's got children's teeth covered. One could, one could and, say and she's, she's a har- going for the adult market. She's a heartbeat away from Burke and Hare. But um, uh, uh, cannibalism is a bit rich because you don't eat jewellery. I, I don't have a no. problem with it, truthfully. It sounds a bit ooky at first, but then it I mean, does. It, it's a bit Edgains in places there. Would you wear? Would you let me? Would you wear uh, a tooth of a stranger around your neck? Yes.
You would. You'd wear your own tooth. If it was, if it was, if it was a nice, beautiful bit of jewellery, yes, it wouldn't bother me. A big old. This tooth. is surprise. By the way, this is surprising even to myself because. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you've thought of. No, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking. It's just, well, it's just... At the dentist, did you ask for your tooth back? No, because Miss Miss Majerus is earning pounds, pounds, pounds. <laughs> and he weren't offered it back. He knows a good racket. Did you ever ask for your tooth? People get their don't people get their appendix given back to them? Ooh, anyone, yeah. out there, anyone out there who's got a piece of their own body in a jar? Oh yeah, gallstones and things like that. People they do. used to they have do. in a little jar, didn't and they? You can't help but just give them a little, uh, use them like a little maraca for a while. But uh, certainly, um, uh, uh, it, it's on the increase. Human ivory, which seems to be over-aggrandizing it. It is, isn't it? It's well, this seems this this seems like the perfect time to go to an advert. <laughs> oh, okay. If it's, if it's for any kind of foodstuffs, we can only apologise. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And we return, during which uh, Peps and I play our eternal game, Counting Your Teeth With Your Tongue, which, uh, if you've never heard the show before, is is, is like our Olympics. Uh, I think, I can't, speaking of which, when I used to do, uh, well, I used to, we used to have a show on Saturday mornings back at the mm. factory, and uh, we uh, uh, had, had people on to play a thing called the liver sausage sandwich game. <laughs> oh, that might, be the, that might <laughs> oh. be the next wrinkle. All of this is going to happen. Everyone thinks what we said on the early shows about having It's Bernie licensed to the show, uh, the sausage sandwich going back, and playing uh, 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 Bernie the Bolt, the golden shot thing with my LPs, all going to happen. You're just going to have to bear with us. We've been talking about doing this three times a week, and that yowl like a timber wolf was our producer saying, <laughs> you, you, just, you just walk away, I'll do all the bureaucracy. But that, I think Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, people or Saturday, people would dig it. Anyway, um, we had an Olympian on Peps, mm. and, um, and she had something like, um, I think she had 40 teeth. I don't think she was lying. I made her count her teeth with her tongue, and she mm. said, I've got 40. I said, what? Most people only have 26, 27, unless you're, um, who's the actress I know with the tiny teeth? What's her name? I always say she's got tiny little teeth. Oh, Nicole Kidman? Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Tiny little thousands. In fact, of I have that knowledge but, in my head now. But she's <laughs> been uh, working together too long. No, she, she, yeah, she's got tiny little teeth. And uh, But anyway, uh, so we've been playing that game and now we're back. I did say, Peps, we were going to start the show with uh, uh, Heather's letter that we just started last time. And I, I got, no, no, I got, got distracted. I got hysterics about something and I said, we'll start with that next time. And Heather's in touch um, on a subject we've been doing. And just passed over the other week, which is, um, uh, I don't think they liked me, which we didn't get, you know, didn't get a tremendous response to, but she's, Heather's got in touch with, I don't think they liked me. She says, years ago, I lived in a flat above a shop. My neighbours, I'll call Margaret and Robert, Robert, and they had a largest dog called Elsie, Elsie the dog. One summer's evening, I'd finished work, I dropped my car off for its MOT and I was walking home. It was a long walk, and about halfway along, a car pulled up next to me, and it contained Margaret and Robert. They asked me if I wanted a lift, and I was delighted. Gratefully, I said yes. They'd been to a local beauty spot to walk Elsie the dog, so they were dressed in their dog-walking clothes. Margaret got out of the car, and I thought she would pull the front seat forward and jump in the back with the dog. 
but instead she pulled it forward and indicated for me to get in the back with Elsie the dog. Now, Elsie the dog loved to swim in the lake at the beauty spot and it indeed indulged her passion that day. She was a very friendly girl. And as I sat down, she climbed on top of me oh. on each of my shoulders <laughs> and showed her complete delight that I had joined her in the back seat. She shook herself quite a bit too. The journey only took several minutes, but by the time we got back, I had no makeup left, my hair was on end, I was soaking wet, and I was absolutely covered in mud. <laughs> Margaret jumped out of the front and pulled the seat forward and exclaimed her horror at the state of me, saying, Oh, look at you. Um, okay then, stay away. Keep you soon. They didn't bat an eyelid. I thought I'd gone mad. It was like the twilight zone. <laughs> the entrance to their flat was at the back of where we had pulled up. Mine was at the front. So I had to walk round to my front door, which was on the high street, looking like a giant lunatic. Don't talk to me about favours. Heather, now that. <laughs> she suspects they didn't like her. Thank you very much indeed, Heather. Uh, any instances of that, of course, uh, great <laughs> Now, what you got over there, Peps? Uh, this is um, from what, Chinny Hill, as he as he calls him, I assume, himself. Okay. Um, this was after we said, about, we were talking about fire irons last week. Okay. Oh, yes, fire. last week, uh, it was a tremendous show. Never mind mm. the little such thing. Last week, we were all about the little carousels you have to aid in a bet and open fire uh, the shovel uh, and, the, and the brush and the poker and perhaps proud owner of oh thank you by the way um, I found out you like chicken skin don't you oh this is just to make me hungry today liver yeah. sausage served and chicken skin we've got ourselves a meal <laughs> What an act they were. Wilson Kettle and Betty get all the heat. But liver, sausage, sherbet and chicken skin. Oh, they could mm. command mm. the stage. So I'm going yes, to talk to the town. Basically, I, I did a roast last week. Uh. And um, as Chef's Perk, I ate all the crispy skin off yeah. the chicken while I was waiting for it to be cooked. The great thing is, the great thing is, people go, oh, no, how can you do that? As you pinch it between thumb and forefinger. Uh, and more beer for the rest of us. I see, I'm the same with the skin on the top of custard. Uh, I like, once the custard has settled, I like to grab that, lift it clear of the mothership, and burdonk. And you know, my mum likes likes the the sort of the brownie burnt skin on a rice pudding as well. Of course. Yeah, of course. All civilised people agree on that. Of course, anyway, but uh, we we could say perhaps too much on foodstuffs. What have you got there, Pep? So this is Chinny Hill. My grandparents had an electric fire in their front room. That was kept their front room that was kept for high days and holidays. It had a second TV aerial outlet in there that they could wheel in so they could watch the TV in luxury as they didn't have a second set. Anyway, the fire was an ornate affair. It lit up and had the glass coal on top, and then underneath was your basic two bar electric fire. Of course, what would you put next to such an ornate piece of modern technology? Why? A brass poker and a matching coal shovel. Did they? The oh. things you wouldn't need with an electric fire. <laughs> so here we are. One day, I'm aged about four and I'm rather cold. How do I turn this fire off? It's it's on already. Well, I must need to stoke this fire. That's what you do with a real fire in the kitchen. So I picked up the poker, placed it through the inadequate safety guard, touched the bar and flash sparks, (laughs) light. I don't remember much until the telling off I then got. I understand I was actually very lucky. I'd shorted the metal case to the electric bar, which was a quicker route to ground than my body, which wow. is why I'm still here to write this. Wow. But I'm not to blame. Why have a poker there if it's not to exactly. be you? Exactly. That, that's just uh, the, the, the dangers of the ornate. I shall write a book called that one day. Uh, <laughs> we had open fires, as I said last week, and probably the last council flats that were built with them. Mm. in the state in South London. And uh, 
I used to get, get the poker. I used to love to get the poker. Again, I know I say this every five minutes, but this is long before your kind of mobile phones and handheld devices. You made your own entertainment. And I would put the poker in the, the bottom of the burning coals, glowing coals, and leave it there until it went white hot. White hot, and then I would go out, and I, I just I don't know why this has popped into my head now. I would get an egg cup and fill it with water, and put it uh, on the hearth. Get the white hot uh, poker, and just slowly bring it into it, and watch the fizzing and popping of the egg cup water. <laughs> and of course, oi, what you do? Put that back on the. You're always doing with a poker again. You're balmy. I wasn't accused of being balmy for doing that. But man, it used to fizz and pop. I felt like Merlin. Um, <laughs> no, my brother used to do that, but then just burn holes in the logs that were sitting at the side oh, of the fire. No. Oh, yeah. yeah Tunnel them through with a burning. I, I might have Kids gone... don't do this at home, etc., etc. Well, you know what? I don't think any kids listen to it, but I think I might have done it with a newspaper once. And I went oh. down, and it would flame up like in westerns. You know, in westerns, you'd see a wanted sign, and then it'd go into a montage where an arrow hit the wanted sign, and it caught fire. That was very, it was pretty standard in wagon trains. And I would try and do that with the Daily Mirror and the poker out of our fire. This is kind of uh, apropos your last uh, email. You, this is from Jamie. Last email you read. Mm. Um, he's writing from Melbourne, Australia. Ah. What did I say? I said we we keep banging people over the head with this show. It'll start spreading abroad. <laughs> we'll show the coronavirus how this thing works. Don't you worry about that. Anyway, um, this is from uh, uh, Jamie in Melbourne. I'm writing under the subject of you know who that was, don't you? As it reminded me of a swimming incident in northern Spain back in the late 80s. I was 14. It was a family holiday. My parents had managed to find a small bay just over the French border into Spain. Bored as you can get at the age of 14, I decided to do what any other 14-year-old lad would do and try to swim out to the furthest boy at sea <laughs> and swim back again. Boy as in the U-O-R. Anyway, it was a nice hot sunny day and the calm water meant it was a relatively easy trip and a relaxing swim, even for me at that age. I swept at the swam out to the boy and was well on the way halfway back when overconfidence set in and I thought I'd swim the last couple of hundred metres on my back. I'd only swum about 50 metres or so when I swung into someone who had come out of nowhere. Unfortunately, he was also doing the backstroke, so he didn't <laughs> see me either. There was a sudden hitting of each other and arms and legs everywhere, and there was an abrupt stop, which meant there was a tangle of arms and legs, and he also struck the side of my face with his chin. <gasps> it wasn't a big hit, but the hair on his beard scratched my face. We both apologised and carried on our way. No harm done. As I set off again, doing the safer breaststroke method back to the shore, another Englishman who had seen the collision said, Well, there was no avoiding that, was there? What? I said. Jimmy Hill. That was Jimmy Hill from Match of the Day. It was. And it was then I realised I had been chinned by the biggest chin in entertainment. The thing needed its own lighthouse. Jamie, look at that. Uh, if you're going to be assaulted by a chin, you've got Bruce Forsyth, you've got Lionel Richie. There are a few of Oh, um, who was in... Not terms of endearment. Uh, what's her name? Glenn. Uh, Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Is it Glenn Close? Um, she's got a bit, quite a big chin. Glenn Close. I, I, yes, I guess she has. She did for a period. She's. She, I don't know if I, I wouldn't dream for a second that there's been any kind of surgery involved. But for a while, I used to think that Glenn Close's nose is coming down to kiss her chin. She had that Mr. Punch <laughs> thing going on. 
It was just coming down to put a little kiss on the edge of the chin and up again. Because uh, Jimmy Hill looked was the model for the original Mr. Punch. Something from you, Peps. Well, this is from Jez. This is the long one. This is his, he says, I'm not sure if I will call this stupid tourist, but as I have started this email before Christmas 2019, you may have had a few categories it would fit since then. <laughs> which actually, I think... Is do you know who you were talking to? He's now fitted in. Okay, okay. It was the early noughties and my girlfriend and I were invited to a wedding in Prague. We'd never been before and it's a beautiful city. We stayed over for a few days and at the end of each day touristing, we went back to our guest house and then go to the same riverside bar for beer and cheese sticks, which sound delightful. We had great views through large plates. You know cheese sticks? You know cheese sticks? Of course you do. Oh, well, like a cheese straw? Yeah, yeah. Or Or like your mozzarella... Oh, I see. No, actually, sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted. It, 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 it doesn't matter. It's, it's not relevant. Gray, it's a grey area. It's yeah. not relevant. Anyway, this bar had views through lovely, lovely large plate glass windows across tram tracks to the river, etc. <laughs> we stepped into the cafe this day to find it was absolutely packed. Not deterred with a sense of real entitlement. We'd only been there four days. We strode down until we saw a booth with only two people in it. As we neared, I noticed that the booth next to it had what I can only describe as Eastern European heavies sat in it, nonchalant poses. We ignored them, walked, up, walked straight up to the booth with spare seats where a man and woman were deep in conversation, and pointing to the spaces, I asked if we could join them, and po- pointed to his coat and briefcase and asked him to move them. He smiled and did, and we slid in. A few minutes later, an old crone appeared and hobbled to our table. She mumbled to him, pulled out a creased piece of paper. He signed it and handed it, handed it back to her, and she gratefully retreated. Lots of head nodding. Trams would trundle past occasionally, not unusual, but one tram stopped at the lights and was full of school kids. They kept looking our way through the window and then started to wave. 20 to 30 kids pressed up against tram windows, waving away. We leaned forward so we could be properly seen around the couple next to us and waved furiously back with our big touristy smiles. The kids were still waving and off they went. Then the manager and a waitress approached the table with a presentation bottle of expensive whiskey. He tried to present it to the gentleman in the booth who wouldn't accept it and the man retreated respectfully. That name sounded familiar, I whispered to my girlfriend and pulled out my guidebook and went through it. Ah, yes, he led the Velvet Revolution in 1989. Then one of the barrel-chested ponytail chaps in the next booth held a mobile phone to his ear, passed it to the man next to us, and as his black jacket swung open, there we saw a submachine gun. (laughs) I now reassured my girlfriend in a squeaky voice, everything's fine, we're in a public place. (laughs) Shortly afterwards, the entire booth behind us stood up and the gentleman and his partner rose, and they all left the bar with everyone turning to look at them. Outriders then appeared and limousines... Wow. And stopped to allow them to enter the limousine, do a U-turn, park over the other side of the road and glide up the stone steps into the National Theatre. This is all a bit mystifying. As my girlfriend went off to the loo, I went up to the bar and started looking at the newspapers. There on the front page was a very large picture of the gentleman we'd sat next to. Underneath, I read the name Vaclav Havel. Mm. President of the Czech Republic. <laughs> well, you just thought they'd have been just shooed away from the top. Well, as he says, a gong went off in my head and the warming of my cheeks as it came into focus. We had strolled through his security cordon, asked him to move his coat and briefcase, <laughs> sat next to him, 
waved at the school children who were detracting his attention. That still makes me wince. And then nonchalantly looked him up in a Lonely Planet guide while he was sat next to us. Wow. That's, that's, you know, that, that shows you you can get mixed up in trouble abroad. Anyone who's ever been mixed up in, in, in not, not necessarily riots, but uh, I, I love stories where people say... Well, he's, as he says, he must have been a gentleman because he must have signalled to the security team that we were fine to stay there and let us sit <laughs> for 45 minutes waving to well, his fans. That's true. Who sent us that? That was Jez in Stockport. Thank you very much, in Jez. Now, just on, on regular correspondence, uh, the last pr- uh, show we... We read an email from Duncan Plunkett, and I may... Dunky Plunky? Exactly, Peps, and I'm trying not to make that mistake again, because for some reason we found humour in the name Duncan Plunkett, and we called him Dunk the Plunk. Well, we shouldn't have done that, because we never do that. We are one family here mm-hmm. in the treehouse, and we don't... No, I, I would say we took pleasure in his name, rather than... That's very good of you. That's very unkindness. good. Unkindness. Um, anyway, he's back in touch. He's been back <laughs> oh, in touch. Yes, oh. he is. No, no, but but shows you his all heart. Listen to this, everyone. He says, you were kind enough to read my email regarding my dog, Steve. <laughs> kind enough. You know, we've got chain mail nets out on the street dragging people in. Otherwise, we're, me and Peps are just sitting here. So anyway, yeah, you were kind enough to read my email regarding my dog, Steve, but also made a few comments regarding my name, Duncan Plunkett. Believe me, this is nothing new. I've had 50-odd summers now of the merriment my name causes in people. Well, in my parents' defence, now both passed on, sadly, I was the seventh of eight boys, born to Mr and Mrs Plunkett. No girls. My poor mum. And they were probably running out of names to choose from by the time I came (laughs) along. So after using in order Danny, Malcolm, Brian, Ian, Neil... Andrew, me, Duncan, Robert. Incidentally, my dear mother used to go through that list when she was telling one of us off for chest or chastising us <laughs> with broken. Of course. So now listen here, Brian, uh, Neil, uh, Duncan, uh, uh, until she got to the name she wanted. So I'm at that stage now. Uh, she never really swore my mum, but she used to say cowing and pigging, i.e. you cowing, pigging, little sod. I never knew anyone else who used that phrase. My mum actually wanted to call me James after her father, but my father, a proud Scotsman, insisted I be called Duncan after the King of Scotland, you know, the one that killed was killed by Macbeth. So that was that, and I did get James as a middle name. But you also called me Dunk the Plunk. Well, this is another problem. <laughs> the eight of us, all us boys, to our mates, we were all called Plunk, every one of us. So when one of our friends came knocking on our door and said, is Plunk in or is Plunk coming out? My mum would say, which one? Danny, Malcolm, Brian, Ian, Neil, <laughs> Andrew, Duncan or Robert? I also have two birthdays on the 7th and 8th of August. The story goes that after my birth, my father went to register my name, but either had had a couple and was slightly hungover and registered me for some reason on the 7th, but I've always celebrated my birthday on the 8th. When I queried this discrepancy with my mother, she told me, you were born when you were born. I know, I was there. On the plus side, it means I will retire a day earlier. Thank you very much indeed. Plunk, bracket, dunk. How about that? Thank you, Plunk. He's back, he's broad. He did that for us. Now, we got through a few emails. We've got Mm. plenty more to do going way back to the first way back, 33. By the way, 33. Our Lord Jesus died at 33, as did Mozart at 30. They talk about this 28 club. The 33 is the thing. Gosh. It's a terrible thing. By the time Mozart was by the time Mozart was my age, he'd been dead thirty years. That's that, that gives a man pause. Anyway, so I think we're pretty much done. Mm. Uh, uh, we'll keep these subjects in any if you, if you see my tweets or uh, uh, you go to the uh, 
uh, main page for the uh, podcast. You can see all the subjects we've ever done and don't let them even tempt you and you can go anywhere you want. But before this day passes, Peps, you know mm-hmm. what a lipogram is? No. Lipogram. Sounds like a medical procedure. That, yes, uh, I thought it would be. Lodi Marsh under, undertook, but it's not. Uh, a lipogram is a form of verbal gymnastics. It's when you write something but intentionally uh, limit yourself to 25 letters of the alphabet. You leave out a letter. Oh, yes. gosh, okay. oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do more on this Ooh, next one, We've these... got plenty of time to come up with these. Uh, 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 Ross Eckler was one of the great... Uh, was the century before last. Uh, a. Ross Eckler, his name was, and he loved doing lipograms, and he was setting himself a task to write uh, huge, rewrite huge books but without without using, say, the letter E or something. <laughs> and now here, I'll just give us one to finish. Uh, he tried. He wrote, Mary had a little lamb without mm. the letter S. Now, see, oh, okay. some people waste their lives. Not, not, not our friend, not our friend Eckler. He, so you got Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. Well, bang, hmm. bang, you can't do it. Yeah, we're out. This, ladies and gentlemen, to finish today, is Mary had a little lamb, as done by A. Ross Eckler, without the letter S anywhere in it, <clears throat> but still making sense. It's still got to do the same thing. Here we go. Mary had a little lamb, with fleece a pale white hue, and everywhere that Mary went. The lamb kept her in view. To academy he went with her, illegal and quite rare. It made the children laugh and play to view a lamb in there. Now that's, you know, that's it, 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 oh, I've got lots of them. Oh, lipograms is brilliant. Oh, this feels like a Twitter challenge. It does. I think somebody, and I'll check this out for next time, somebody wrote the entire Great Gatsby without, rewrote it without the letter E. <laughs> <laughs> no. I know, I know. Some people waste their lives. Anyway, I think we're done, aren't we, Peps? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, okay. Play the theme tune. On the other side of the table, uh, the other side of the uh, computer, that's been Louise Napoleon Pepper, uh, Phil Wilding and Josh on behalf of something else who give us this platform. But as always, and as you can tell, it's chiefly yourselves. We'll see you Saturday. <laughs>